My sermon text this morning is from Psalm 95, if you want to open up to Psalm 95. I, I want you guys to know at the start, though, I am, I am aware that my hair is a bit shaggy. I, I know that. I'm self-aware enough to know that it's shaggy. It's actually quite annoying to me, um, but I, I'm growing out my hair, and Jody and I had a, uh, a laugh this week because it's probably the last time that I'll be able to grow out my hair in my life um, and it not be like a really lame attempt at a comb over to cover over, cover over my drastically receding hairline. You don't want me to pull it up. It's awkward. Um, yeah, so this is my last attempt at a comb over. So I've, I've been doing a lot of reflection. I'm about to turn 40. There's a lot of other reasons to reflect on your life, and there's a lot of other things that I've been deeply reflecting on this week. But as I get older... One of the other things that I've been paying attention to a lot over the last several months, and you've heard it in some of my sermons, uh, it's not just my hairline, uh, Lord have mercy, it's definitely not that. I'll be shaving my head like Sam here in a few weeks, I'm sure. Um, sorry, Sam, that wasn't in my manuscript. I, I, had, to, I had to bring you down here with me, buddy. Um, so most of you kids, you don't know it, but a lot of your parents grew up at the height of the glorious CCM movement, or else the contemporary Christian music movement. Not only were we subjected to a lot of less than good music, I'll just say less than good music, or as one band called their own music, decent Christian music, which is hilarious. Uh, we didn't even know what we were missing. We didn't know what we were missing. We had our own radio station. We weren't able to pick and choose for ourselves. It, it, it came to us, and to one degree or another, Christian children who were raised in the 80s and 90s have spent the last 25 years. So all the 2000s, we've been casting out Amy Grant, casting her out. Be gone, Amy Grant. And we've asked Taylor Swift into our hearts. That might not be exactly your trade, but uh, we've essentially been trading baby baby for bad blood for the last 25 years. The culture used to sing, I will always love you, and I'm not going to sing that for you. And now we sing, and I was just looking at the Billboard Top 100, I've never heard most of these songs. And now we sing, I can buy myself flowers. I will not always love you, I can love myself, and that's all I need. The church used to sing positive, encouraging music, and now more and more in reaction to the 80s and 90s, a lot of people my age are all lament all the time. I'm not interested in going back, and I'm I don't think I'm interested in our generation's answer to all of our positive, encouraging music. No matter how many short Larry, Board, Larry Bird shorts and mullets I see college students wearing in the gym, I'm not going back to the 80s. I'm not doing it. I'm not Ray Bolts. But neither do I want to keep singing the anthems of depression for an anxious age. We're in this back and forth all the time. So to quote one of my favorite philosophers, which I've already mentioned here this morning, band-aids don't fix bullet holes, guys. You say sorry just for show. 
If you live like that, you live with ghosts. If you love like that, your blood runs cold. A few of you young people understood that joke. It's good. My parents weren't wrong, though. Let me, let me say this very clearly at the start. My parents weren't wrong to make me listen to decent Christian music. They were not wrong because, and this is what I'm reflecting on this week, the songs that we listen to, especially the songs that we sing, but both together, they both reflect our view of the world. So they reflect something that, that tells us about how we see the world and at the same time, they affect our view of the world. So they reflect something that's in us, but they also affect us. They change ourselves. What we sing reflects what's in us and it shapes us. Our heart and our minds and our attitudes. What we say and how we say it. This is what music does. So we desperately need, we desperately need joyful songs. We need joyful songs that rise up out of our restlessness. This is Psalm 95. Joy-filled shouts that spring up from the wilderness of life. It's not either or. It's not the simplistic praise, and it's not all dreariness all the time. We need mountains that spring up from the depths of the sea. This is the imagery of Psalm 95. We need better songs. In other, in other words, we need psalms. We need the Psalter, all 150 of them. Now, every day at morning prayer, we are invited to speak at least seven psalms. At least seven psalms. And this isn't even including the psalm of the day, which is usually several psalms. So we're probably, at minimum, in the around 10 range every, every, every morning. And even the collects, so all the prayers that we pray in morning prayer are saturated with phrases from the Psalter all over the place. And many of the canticles, or else the psalms that are not in the 150 psalms, so these are songs that come out of the New Testament, like Mary's song. These are songs out of Isaiah and various other places in the scriptures. All of these canticles, in many ways, are reflecting the psalms. So we're probably in the area of at least 15 psalms, just with morning prayer alone. Midday prayer, I was praying it several times this week. I usually... I'm too busy to stop and pray this very short office. It begins with four psalms. Evening prayer and Compline are filled with psalms to end our day. And this is our life of common prayer. This it is. This is it. Psalms on repeat all day long and then wake up and do it again the next day. This is what it means to follow our prayer book in so many ways. And so I want to do two things this morning. I want to pay attention to Psalm 95 just for a little bit, particularly verse 1, particularly verse 1 of Psalm 95, and then I want to sing. I want to invite us to sing together. That's the only way to really apply this sermon, is to sing a song together. Psalm 95 and verse 1. The first word of Psalm 95, which we pray at the beginning of morning prayer every day, the first word is, is come. Come. So in Latin, this word is venite. So we call this psalm, Psalm 95, 
the venite, a lot of the Latin titles, or pretty much all of the Latin titles, if you see them in your prayer book, it's just the first word of the psalm. And this is the come, psalm come. It's an imperative, come. It cries out. And it's also a plural word. It's plural, so it's essentially, in one word, let us come. Let us come together. This is the first word of the psalm. So at the beginning of my day, I don't know about you, but I need an imperative or I won't come. I need a command. I need a command to come, to come. And I need other people praying with me or else I won't come with any sort of consistency. Let us come. Let us come together. Awake, O sleeper, come. So this is the first word. And if I don't wake up with the first word, the second word in this psalm is shout. Come, imperative, shout. Shout or sing. This root word, it's repeated three times in the first two verses, and it's translated in our ESV, let us sing. Make a joyful noise in verse 2. Again, make a joyful noise. This is that word, shout. It's a powerful word. It's the word of God's people blowing a trumpet from Zion. This is the word. It's what Joshua and all of the priests and all of the men of war shout with a great shout as they march in procession around the walls of Jericho. Come, shout! So prayer, it's forceful. It wakes us up, this psalm. It's warfare. Prayer is warfare. Singing is shouting, according to the psalmist. When we, all of us together, come into the presence of God, we, like the people of Israel in 1 Samuel, we give a mighty shout, and so the earth resounds with the shout of God's people. We come. Where do we come to? We come shouting. What or whom are we shouting at? Are we shouting at enemies in this prayer? Are we shouting at walls? So think of Jericho. Are we marching around and shouting at walls? Is that what they were doing? No, that's not what they're doing. The first line of the Venite ends with a name. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us sing unto the Lord. When we awake, we come, and we come shouting, and we come shouting to Yahweh, to the Lord, to God Himself. We come to the name. We come shouting to the only one who can truly help us in the battles of our day. That's why we start with the Venite. We're not venting at ourself. We're not, we're not trying, this is not self-talk or else self-care. This is not meditation to center myself on myself or something like that. We're not blowing off steam with a therapist or a counselor. We're not unloading on a spouse or a friend. We're shouting to God. This is how the psalmist begins. We're shouting to God, Oh God, as I'm entering into my day, as I'm entering into my day, and the walls before me are massive, and my enemies are threatening me, and my soul, even my own soul, torments me, give me grace, God, to look at you 
to look at you and not at myself or my circumstances, to cry out to you, to not be fixated on everything that torments my soul. And this is just the first three words of Psalm 95. You don't need to sing a song of self-care. Don't shout at the walls of Jericho. When you wake up and you see your day before you, don't rage against the enemies and the trials that you are expecting, that you know, you can look at your calendar, you can see what's coming on your calendar. Don't fixate on your towering enemy. Shout at your God. Shout to God. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us, here's the same word again, heartily rejoice. Let us shout. Sing powerfully in the strength of our salvation. So a little bit of inside baseball before I finish this brief reflection on Psalm 95. So our 2019 prayer book, for those who don't know, is going back all the way to the 1662 prayer book because many among us thought that in the 1979 prayer book of the Episcopal Church or else the Anglican Church in America before there was an ACNA, they removed a lot of stuff. And one of the things that they removed from the end of this psalm is the last four verses, the last four verses of Psalm 95. Psalm 95 ends with verses that talk about our hard hearts, about our faithless fathers in the wilderness, about how we, like them, we go astray. We go astray in Psalm 95 ends with verse 11, with Yahweh's declaration of judgment on a faithless generation. It's an uncomfortable verse to end a song with, isn't it? Remembering his wrath, the text says, against the faithless wilderness generation. O come, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us heartily rejoice in the strength of our salvation. Salvation from what? Salvation from what? We need We need the end of this psalm to remember what we need salvation from. Primarily, we don't need salvation from giants who are inside of walls or else outside of the walls coming to attack us. We don't need deliverance from our enemies primarily who are out there, not from towering walls and fortified cities. We need God to save me. I need God to save me at the beginning of the day. We need salvation. We call out to the strength of our salvation because we need deliverance from our own sin at the beginning of our day. And the last four verses of Psalm 95, they remind us to remember that Moses, and his name means saved out. That's what the word Moses means. He is saved out of the water. He's put into a little ark or else a basket as an infant. So he's saved out of the water as an infant so that he could grow up to lead God's people through the waters, through the waters of the Red Sea, out of Egypt. We need to remember that God's people were delivered through the Red Sea, and as they were passing through the Red Sea, that the waters of judgment crashed upon Pharaoh and all of his chariots and all of his army in judgment. 
We need to remember that as soon as God's people passed through the waters of judgment, and as soon as their feet were resting on dry ground, go read the story, as soon as they get there, they're in the wilderness, out of Egypt, they complained that they had no water. They grumbled at the Lord. We need to remember that God heard their grumbling, and in His mercy, He answered them. And the text says, He led them to Elam. He led them to Elam where there were 12 springs of water. Think of the fullness of the tribes of Israel. This is fullness language. They had more than enough fresh water for all the tribes. 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. They had shade too. The fullness of shade. This is eschatological language. They were comfortable. God was kind to them even though they grumbled and they encamped there by the water. We also need to remember that as soon as God completely quenched their thirst, they grumbled that they didn't have bread. I'm no longer thirsty, God, but we had bread in Egypt. I need some bread. And as soon as he gave them bread, they grumbled that they didn't have meat. You guys get the pattern here, right? And as they journeyed towards the promised land, they got thirsty again, and they grumbled again, give us water, give us water. The people thirsted again for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? They grumbled, and they grumbled And they grumbled, and so Moses came before Yahweh, and he shouts. He shouts as if he is shouting Psalm 95 to Yahweh, his God, his salvation. He says to Yahweh, I need help, God. I need help. What am I supposed to do? They're about to stone me. This is what Moses says. I just delivered them. We literally just walked through a sea, parted. We walk through on dry ground, and they're about to stone me, God. Exodus chapter 17 and verse 6, which Delisa read for us this morning. The Lord, Yahweh, responds to Moses, Behold, I, the Lord, will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of that place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? At the end of his life, at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses sang another song, remembering the rock of his salvation, The rock that he struck with the same staff which he held above his head so that the waters of the Red Sea would stay wide open. This same staff, he struck the rock. The rock that he struck because of a sinful and thirsty and grumbling generation. And the Lord gave them water. The Apostle Paul calls this spiritual drink because Moses went to the Lord them. He cried out to God on their behalf, and he struck the rock. And at the end of his life, Moses was looking back on this event, and he sang that the Lord himself, the Lord himself was the rock. 
the Apostle Paul said that the rock was Christ. The rock was Christ. And this is just how Psalm 95 begins. Psalm 95, verse 1. Come, shout to the Lord. Shout to the rock of our salvation. Shout to the rock of our salvation. Every morning we are invited to remember this story with His name. With the Lord or else the rock. To wake up, to come, and shout our prayers as if we are the Samaritan woman by the well. Praise the Lord and strike the rock of our salvation. Come, shout to the Lord, shout or else strike the rock of our salvation every morning. The music that you listen to matters. Every single word of it matters. Stopping and paying attention to every single word matters. The anthem of your day and your life matters. When you put your earbuds in your ears to drown out all the other stuff in your life, every word that enters into your brain matters. When you open your mouth, every word matters. If you want to, in the midst of the wilderness, speak words of life, we have to hear words of life. We speak to the degree that we are spoken to. We don't need simplistic and sappy songs. We don't, none of us want to go back to the 80s and 90s. We need words, though, that rise up out of our desolation, out of Meribah and Massa. This is how the psalmist ends. Out of Meribah and Massa. We need words that cause us by the strength, by the rock of our salvation, to rise up from the provocation and the temptation, from Meribah and Massa, words that make us come, that make us come in the morning and come boldly before the Lord with a shout, all together, with glad shouts and songs of praise, and songs of praise. And so here... Psalm 95 over you this morning. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth. And the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. O come, that's the language again. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, 
and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. I invite you this morning, because of the rock who is Christ, to come with boldness and strike the rock. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. 